Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We're going to be going through some verses there. Uh, we are in that series, as Karen said, walking with Jesus, entering the gospel narrative. And uh, what does it mean to walk with Jesus? Well, we have to become a disciple, a learner, a follower of Jesus. And so when we look at the gospel narratives, of course, there are four gospel narratives. You learn them as a child, hopefully, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, John is very different. It's not a synoptic gospel, but we have uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they are uh, very explicit about the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus and the work of Jesus, thus the gospels, okay? And the reason I chose uh, Mark's gospel this morning is because Mark really highlights Three categories of people. He features the disciples, okay? And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple. And by the way, don't be too hard on the disciples because they were slow to get it, because we're slow to get it too, right? And we'll see that in today's message. The other group are the crowds, the crowds that follow Jesus. And the other group of people that Mark highlights are the religious leaders. Now, when the, came, when the time came for Jesus to be uh, crucified, to die on the cross, the religious leaders arrested him, the disciples abandoned him, and the crowds jeered him. You will find that in the Gospels. The main theme of Mark is found in verse 45 of chapter 10. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. That is the theme of Mark's gospel. One thing Mark also highlights is the miracle-working power of Jesus. You know, if you were to sit down and uh, just begin reading the Gospel of Mark, you could probably read it somewhere between two and three hours. And in your reading, you will see this word, just depending on what translation you use, straightway, forthwith, or the ESB calls it immediately, immediately. And be on the lookout because Jesus is going to be doing something. He's probably going to be working a miracle. And the point of the miracles is that we might come to know who Jesus is. That we might come to know who Jesus is. And Jesus is constantly telling people, believe on me. Come to me. Believe on me. So really, this word discipleship, it's so huge for us as Christians. Uh, being a disciple is really what it's all about, okay? Are you a disciple? Are you a follower? 
So Christians are called to come to Christ and then to follow Him. There are three aspects of the Christian life as a disciple that I'm going to point out this morning. There are many, many more, but I've just chosen three. Okay, This will help us when we're going through the gospel narratives. But uh, one aspect of the Christian life, and you're not going to like this one, forsaking sin. Forsaking sin. Or to live a life of repentance. To live a life of repentance. When I first came to City View, I was uh, urged rather strongly to attend a redemption group. And I'd never encountered anything like that. One of our leaders, Brett Allison, is here. And uh, I remember my very first uh, group, I heard Brett Allison talk about repentance. And it changed the way I think about my Christian life. But we're to forsake sin and live a life of repentance. Aspect number two, we have Christian duties. Yay! There are some works that we need to do. Okay? Now, we are not saved by works, but works is a product of our salvation. And if we are a true follower of Jesus... There are things that we will do, okay? It could be as simple as picking up someone that needs a ride to church. You know, that's a Christian duty. <laughs> Gospel obligations, as one writer put it. And then this third aspect of being a disciple is we will live a disciplined life. Or we will become a disciplined person. I recently heard Ray Ortland uh, talk and uh, minister to a group of pastors, Ray Ortland. He's been in the ministry for a long, long time, a wonderful pastor. And uh, they asked him, well, what do you do to stay fresh? How do you, how do you go about this uh, discipleship process? How do you do it, Pastor Ray? And he goes, well... I start my day by making a pot of coffee, get up fairly early, and I take a big cup of coffee, and I go sit down with my Bible open. I read the scriptures, and I pray. Wow, that's not too difficult, is it? But that is one of the aspects of the Christian life. It's disciplining ourselves to follow Jesus. Okay. Another aspect of our Christian life, and this is probably the most important. And it comes hard for us because we're Americans and we're independent. Uh, we're pretty well to do. Sometimes we think we don't need God. But the truth of the Christian life is is that God is our Lord. He is our Master. He is our Master. Jesus is Lord. He is King of our life. Okay? Your life is not your own. 
Now, humor me a little bit here, and especially ladies. I'm going to give a football illustration. I'm sorry, it's playoff time in the NFL, right? Okay? It's okay. Baseball is coming, I know. But uh, football illustration. I'm going to illustrate this. Uh, when I was <clears throat> a freshman in high school, long time ago, my freshman class was large. And I was raised out in uh, West Texas, 14 miles east of Abilene, there is a small community called Clyde, C-L-Y-D-E. That was my hometown. So uh, as I was a freshman, we had a new athletic director. And because our school was growing, because our class was so large, he decided that our freshman class, our uh, guys football team, that we would be just a freshman football team, that we were not going to be junior varsity. And certainly we could not be varsity. But it was a little unusual in our district. And so he decided, no, uh, we're going to have a JV team. We have a varsity team. But you freshmen, y'all have great potential because as a seventh grader, my class, we had one district in football undefeated. Woo! Eighth grade, undefeated with the blemish, we tied one game. But uh, here we go, a bunch of freshmen. And we're playing against guys that are sophomores and juniors. You know where I'm going with this, right? Didn't go well for us. And there was one game that I really remember uh, being a, a runaway for the other team. Because for the most part, we held our own against older players. But uh, we played this team, and they were called the Eastland Mavericks. Eastland Mavericks. And gosh, guys, it was horrible. We could not stop them. I mean, they just beat us to a pulp. And I played free safety. And what that means is that uh, I played in the defensive uh, team back towards, uh, well, my back was to the back of the goal line, closer. I mean, I was far back in the defensive backfield, and I was the last man between whoever was running the football and the goal line. And I don't know this player's number, but he was a running back. He had number 10, I remember that. And he was fast and big. And I tackled him, no I'm telling how many times that game. A lot of times I didn't tackle him. He scored. But towards the end of the game, he was probably getting a little tired. <laughs> and then he broke free, and he was headed for the goal line, but I had the angle on him, okay? And I thought, I'm going to make him pay. And I just gave it all I had. I had the right angle, and I hit him. And uh, I tackled him all right. He fell out of bounds and fumbled. But, you know, that dude, he just jumped right back up. And I'm slower to get up. And actually, what happened was he took me by the arm and helped me up. And he looked at me through his face mask and said, We can score on you anytime we want to. You know what he really said? We own you. <laughs> yes. 
They did. 66 to zero. Wow. Humbled, to say the least. How does that fit in to being a disciple? Let me tell you. Jesus owns you. Your life is not your own. If you have truly come to saving faith. He owns you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now we don't like that scripture. But that's what the Bible tells us. Jesus is Lord and Master of our life. We do get the benefits of His salvation. But you are no longer in charge of your life if you are a follower of Jesus. He owns us 24-7. You know, what is good about that is <clears throat> once we learn He is in charge, our life is about bringing glory to God. And in that, it is for our joy. Scott said it. <clears throat> he said, uh, we will find satisfaction and joy in Christ. In Christ. And the key is, are you in Christ? If you are, you're a disciple and you're to follow him. Well, let's get to the text. I'll read the text and you follow along in your Bibles. Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 45. Great story, great story. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, which is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me set this up by reviewing the preceding verses here. In chapter 6, Jesus also works another miracle. He feeds 5,000 men. 
Okay. So what has been happening in the ministry of Jesus and the disciples as they are walking with him, learning from him, as they're learning, Jesus is like no other rabbi, no other teacher that they have ever seen or heard of. Jesus not only can teach, he teaches with authority, but he works miracles. And so in the feeding of the 5,000, uh, the disciples told Jesus, send them away because it's getting late and they're hungry. And Jesus said, we'll feed them. Okay, let's feed them. We'll take up a collection. And they had some money, which might have fed most of them. But that wasn't what Jesus had in mind. And he asked them, well, what do you have? Well, we have five loaves. We've got two fish. So Jesus uses that to feed 5,000 men. So what does that mean? Why do I keep saying 5,000 men? Because there were women and children to add to that number. Probably 15,000 to 20,000 people were fed. That is a lot of food. And when he finished the miracle, there was some left over. Wow. Now imagine being a part of this crowd. Not only are you hearing Jesus teach, and in Matthew's account it says, Jesus, we see that you're a prophet. Not only are you a great prophet, but you're a miracle worker. You can feed us. And it says that they wanted to take Jesus and make him their king. They had political mindset, okay? But Jesus did not have a political mindset as part of his mission. Jesus knew that he was on a course to die for the sin of mankind. You see, they did not understand Jesus' mission and they surely did not understand who Jesus was. So in verse 45, he says, Immediately, Jesus made them get into the boat. You know what I think was happening here? I think the disciples were saying, Hey, Jesus, they're going to crown you king. I think that's a good idea. I mean, Jesus, you know, with your power, we can take Rome. We can do this, Jesus. Hey, dude, you're not ready. Get in the boat. Get out of here. Hey, you guys, you're trouble. So Jesus forces them into the boat. I can just see him, you know, pushing them out. And it says he goes back and deals with the crowd. He deals with the crowd. I wonder what he told them. Maybe he just escaped supernaturally. I don't know. But it says that he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went into the mountains to pray. So I've got three talking points this morning. If you take notes. We are guided by his plans. Number two, we are encouraged by his prayers. And number three, we are blessed by his prayers. 
power and his person. <clears throat> so we are guided by his plans. Jesus took charge of the dangerous situation. And he made his disciples get into the boat. We're guided by his plans. You know that we serve a Lord that knows the future. God knows what he's about. I find comfort in the fact that the future is God's and not mine. Have you ever worried about your future? Absolutely. And Jesus having a relationship with God the Father, and that's difficult to think of. What am I referring to there? I'm referring to the Trinity. As evangelicals, we believe in the Trinity. Three in one, that is God. There is God the Father. All God, always God, ever God. There is God the Son, Jesus Christ. All God, forever God, always God. There is the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. And there is perfect unity within that Godhead. It'll blow your mind. It does mine all the time. Try to write a paper on the Trinity. Wow. You'll scratch your head. Try to find an illustration that really describes the Trinity. It's hard. But Jesus being all God, but yet being fully human, is going to take time to pray. Because as He prays, he comes to understand God's plan. Jesus is not going to be a political king, a political ruler. He's not going to upseat Rome. In fact, God is going to use the Roman Empire to spread the gospel to the entire world. God knows what He's about. And we are guided by His plans. Looking at verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. If Jesus being all God. If Jesus being all man. The God man. Isn't it interesting that he took time to pray? But he did. Verse 48. Excuse me, verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. And he was alone on the land. Here may be another supernatural miracle. I'm not sure. But... Uh, the Sea of Galilee is uh, over eight miles long. Uh, what about four and a half, five miles wide? Just imagine the disciples have been rowing for a while. 
And Jesus is on the mountain, but he sees. He sees them. How did he do that? <laughs> Maybe it was in the natural. My point is, God sees you. Do you know he sees you? He does. He not only sees you, he knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head or not on your head. He knows you. He sees you. Now, verse 48, 48, And when he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Walking on the sea. I wonder how many miles Jesus actually walked on the water. I think about these things. But what do I see here? I see the compassion of Jesus. His compassion. His love. One thing you'll realize. As you walk with Jesus. You will come to understand how he takes initiative with us. How he calls us. How he woos us. And brings us to himself. It's because he loves us. Our God is a God of compassion. Aren't you glad? We are blessed by His power. We are blessed by His person. Forgive me, I ran over point number two. But Jesus prays... um, We're blessed by his prayers. And do you realize, too, that Jesus prays for his disciples? He prays for us. But I'm sure when he was up on that mountain, he prayed for his disciples. And we're blessed by that. What was probably happening is a spiritual conflict. As you walk with Jesus... As you are faithful to be a disciple of Jesus, you will encounter spiritual warfare. Because we have an enemy. I'm not trying to scare you. But I want you to wake up to the fact that we do have an enemy of our soul. His name is Satan. (laughs) He doesn't want you to follow Jesus or walk with Jesus. Thank God Jesus is praying for us. Jesus probably was praying for himself, knowing what he was about to go through. I'm sure he became tired. That was the whole point of them going away, was to get some rest and relaxation. But the crowds followed him, and he didn't turn them away. He ministered to them and he fed them. But he prayed for himself because ministry was hard. It was wearisome. And then, of course, he prayed for his disciples because his disciples couldn't really understand who he was. And he knew that.
starting with verse 47, my last point. We are blessed by His power and His person. Excuse me, verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. I'll explain that in just a moment. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out. Now the word ghost there in the Greek is phantasma. We get our word phantom. They thought Jesus was a water ghost. (laughs) I tell you, this is scary. But anyways, they cried out, they were afraid, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Another miracle. And they were utterly astounded. So Jesus truly is a blessing to his disciples here. He is going to rescue them from the storm. Now we're not sure if it was a thunderstorm or just a gale wind in other accounts of the scriptures uh, John gives an account so does Matthew and I believe it's in Luke as well but uh, they were struggling they were struggling okay and so Jesus goes out to help them and it says they thought that uh, it says he wanted to pass them by Now, what that means is, is that Jesus wanted to make sure that they saw him. Okay? So Jesus came alongside them on the boat. Can you imagine? You're struggling in a storm, and all of a sudden you look over. Whoa, who's this walking on the water? And in the other accounts... We have Peter. Remember Peter? Hey, Lord, if that's you, let me come. Well, come on then. Come on, Peter. And he gets out of the boat. And he begins to walk on water too. Wow. But what happens? He becomes afraid. And he starts to sink. Don't be too hard on Peter. (laughs) After all, he did walk. But this is an amazing miracle. Amazing miracle. You would have probably been afraid too. This miraculous event was not just about rescuing his disciples. It is a manifestation of his Deity. It's a manifestation of his deity. Jesus is showing his disciples who he is.
verse 50 is an interesting Greek word where Jesus says, Take heart, it is I. That word is ego imai in the Greek. Did I pronounce it right, Pastor Greg? Close, okay. <laughs> Good enough for this country, boy. I am. I am. Do you remember in the Old Testament hearing that word? We have God calling Moses out of a burning bush. God is going to use Moses to free his people from bondage in Egypt. Can't you see it? Can't you hear it? Moses, uh, 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 who, who should I say send me? Who, who's sending me? Who do I tell them? Tell them I am sent you. This is the name of God. God was getting in the boat. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The I am was passing by them, showing, declaring to them his deity. God was literally in the boat. The disciples were astounded. They were overwhelmed. But they still didn't get it. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You know, we are just like the disciples. We don't get who Jesus is. But we're hopefully learning. The disciples... They did not understand who Jesus was until after he was resurrected. Think about their experience. What happened on the day that Jesus was crucified on a cruel Roman cross? All the disciples abandoned him, save John and Jesus' mother. And a few others. They didn't want any part of that. But let me tell you, three days after, what happened? Jesus appears to them. He has risen from the dead. <gasps> Bada bing! Oh, he told us he would rise from the dead. They began to get it. He told us to believe in Him. He told us to trust in Him. He told us that He must suffer many things and be crucified. But on the third day, He will rise again. And let me tell you who got it on Pentecost. Peter. 
Boy, did he ever get it. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Repent and believe. Have you gotten that? Do you know who Jesus is? He is the Son of God. He is God the Son. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. Thank God by His grace I'm getting it. Once you get it, you cannot keep the news to yourself. We can be like Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Do you get it, church? Do you get it, young boy, young girl, followers of Jesus? Amazement is not the same thing as believing. If you sit down and read the Gospel of Mark, and it is the shortest of all of our accounts of Jesus' ministry, you can probably go through there. Like I said, two and a half or three hours. That would be a good lesson for us to do. Because Mark displays Jesus, not only as a servant, but as servant king. That's who Jesus was and is. I love the fact that Jesus does not give up on us. Notice it says there, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Has your heart ever become dull and hardened? Now, my dad always had a word for that. He called me a knucklehead. You know, son, don't you get it? No, I don't, dad. Sorry. The worst spanking I ever got was when I was in the third grade and I had been lying to my parents about doing my homework. One Sunday evening, it came to my dad's attention because he got a phone call from my third grade teacher. Hey, I'm just calling to check up on Kim. He had homework. I'm hoping he's going to turn it in on Monday. So my dad comes to me and uh, asks me if I have my homework. No, I don't have it. And uh, boy, did he wear me out. He spanked me with a switch. We don't do that anymore, do we? But it really didn't hurt me that bad. But I cried. And so he was patient with me. He said, why are you not doing your homework? I said, Daddy, I don't understand. Daddy, I don't understand it. Let me help you. Let's go through this together. That's the kind of Savior we have. God, would you help me get it? Help me understand who Jesus is. Help me with my homework. He will help you understand. And it's supernatural. 
as you read the scriptures, God will open understanding up to you. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Avail yourself of the scriptures. This is part of our discipline. True faith is trusting in Jesus. Because I do not know the future. I don't. I'm going to trust Jesus. Let me ask you something, second service. Think back on your life. How far you want to go back? Oh, how about eight or ten years? I can still remember that far back. <laughs> Would you have ever imagined what you would have gone through. Ten years ago, can you say, hey, I know what's going to happen this year, next year. No, you don't know. But think back. And hopefully you were a follower of Jesus, you were a disciple. Think back on those moments where you were in difficult times. Can you see God with you? Can you see that his hand was on your life? Thinking back, I hope you can see that. What that is, that is a testimony of your trusting and your believing God. Even when you doubted and your faith was weak. Because believing is trusting. Now, just a few points of application, and I'll be done. And this is very simple, but we need to be reminded. From Mark chapter 6. If God sends you into a storm, it has purpose. Let me say that again. Did Jesus send his disciples out? Yes, he did. And he knew there was a storm coming. And it had a purpose. But the point is, in your storm, God will not forsake you. You missed a good place to say amen there. He did. He did. God will not forsake you in the storm. I'm living proof. Application point number two. This is a little longer. Some of you take notes. So that's why I'm slowing down a little. Storms in life give us opportunity to ask God to come through for us and accomplish His agenda through impossible situations of life. Woo, that's a long one. Do it again, Kim. Okay, storms in life give us opportunity to ask God to come through for us. And accomplish his agenda through impossible situations in life. Now I'm married to Des, short for Desiree. She's teaching uh, this service. She was in the first service and I called her out and I'm going to do it again. But I married a fixer. What do I mean by that? My wife likes to fix things. We have four children growing up. Let me tell you, uh, I know uh, Brett and Elizabeth have four. Some, some of you have more than that. Sorry. 
I know some of your families better than others, but let me tell you, when you got that many kids, there is a lot of laundry going on. And Des's plan was to always have one day to do the laundry, and she's done with it, but it never worked out that way. And my wife, being a fixer, every once in a while, the washing machine would break. Guess what Des would do? She'd say, pull that thing out and let me fix it. Because we don't want to spend the money on buying a new one. And she would fix it. Yay, Des. She'd pull the part off, show it to me, go to the parts appliance store and get me this part. I'll put it back together. She did it. But there's another aspect about Des's personality. See, we have a blended family. And she'd want to fix the kids and their friends and our relatives too. <laughs> She's the fixer. And we jokingly would say, Des, I know you love everyone and have a wonderful plan for their life. <laughs> but it's not going to happen. Are you a fixer? Sometimes we just have to be reminded that we can't really fix the important things in life. A prayer that we should pray when we're in a situation and we need God to show up and do something. You know what a good prayer is? God, I can't fix this. Would you help me? Come through for me, God. God, do something. That's a good prayer. And I'm telling you, God will do it. It may not be like you think. The answer may not come when you think. But God will show up for his people. The same Jesus that was in the boat is the same Jesus that you follow and trust. Look out, a miracle's coming. Could be. It could be. And we all need God to show up in our lives. Because it will bring glory to Him. And it will be for our good and our joy. Are you called... To be a disciple. Are you a follower. Of Jesus. I'm going to read you some scripture. And it's going to be strong. But you need to hear it. Because this is serious business. Jesus is not a myth. He's real and he's the son of God. And one day we're going to stand before him. And we'll give an account of our life. And calling the crowd to him and his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
That's Mark 8, 34. I'll continue to read. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What a paradox there. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his angels. This is the word of God.